This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. So the Michigan primary was yesterday. Uh, Trump won big. He got about 68% of the vote. Uh, Nikki Haley getting just under 30% of the vote. Uh, Biden won big, getting about 81.5% of the vote, with uh, uncommitted getting 12.7% of the vote. And the folks that were pushing uncommitted were primarily folks that were unhappy or are unhappy with President Biden's policy with respect to Israel and uh, Dean Phillips getting about two and a half percent of the vote. I, it does. I mean, doesn't really affect much for Biden as it relates to the primaries. But if Biden is the Democratic nominee, which honestly I still think is questionable, it does make you wonder where do the folks, the thousands of folks that voted for uncommitted go in the general? Do they stay home in the general? Do they hold their nose and vote for Joe Biden to prevent them from getting Donald Trump? Do they go third party? Do some of them even vote for Donald Trump? I think that's probably the most unlikely scenario, but you never know. The least likely scenario. 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. Um, Those Biden calls, fake Biden calls, that were, were went to voters in the live free or die state, New Hampshire, right before the Democratic primary. Calls like this. What a bunch of malarkey. We know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. Well, and that was just a small portion of it. If you read the script to the entire call, Basically, it says this coming Tuesday is the New Hampshire presidential preference primary. Republicans have been trying to push nonpartisan and Democratic voters to participate in their primary. What a bunch of malarkey. We know the value of voting Democrat when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. We'll need your help in electing Democrats up and down the ticket. Now, that call sounds like Joe Biden. It's not Joe Biden. Why would someone do this? Why would someone use AI to mimic the president's voice to try and get people not to participate in an election? I have found the person that did this. He's going to join us in about 10 minutes and explain to us exactly why he did this. And I'm going to ask him if he's in any legal trouble for doing this, because a lot of attorneys general have launched investigations into this whole thing. The FCC is talking about cracking down on this. Different states are talking about enacting legislation to prevent this. I think it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes. So you're not going to want to miss my interview with uh, Steve Kramer coming up in about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, 800-848-9222. Does this country, the United States of America, have too many Springfields. Now, the great thing about the TV show The Simpsons, well, there's many great things about it. And by the way, The Simpsons is good again now. If you haven't seen The Simpsons since, you know, 15 years ago when it started to go downhill, it's good again. You can watch it, and it's really, it's not as good as it was in the Conan O'Brien days, but it's still very good. 
Very good. So their town is Springfield, you know, and they do a lot. They have a lot of fun with Springfield. There was even that great song where they visit the burlesque house and uh, the burlesque dancers are talking about they put this spring in Springfield. You could close down Moe's or the Quickie Mart and nobody would care. But the heart and soul of Springfield's in our maison derriere. We're the sauce on your steak. We're the cheese in your cake. We put the spring in Springfield. We're the lace on the nightgown. The point after touchdown. So they've had some fun with the fact that there are so many towns named Springfield around the country. In fact, I remember one episode where they show a map where they say, oh, you know, this could be any one of the states that calls spring that has a Springfield. And it shows a map littered with Springfields in all all around the country. Does the United States have too many Springfields? Some are saying yes. After a tragic, okay, maybe it's not a tragic, after a mix-up last week involving two different Springfields for Trader Joe's. On Thursday, a newspaper in Springfield, Missouri, wrote that a Trader Joe's was opening in the city after a Trader Joe's spokesman confirmed plans to open a new store in Springfield. But shortly after... The spokesperson had to apologize, saying that she thought the paper was in Springfield, Virginia, where the store is actually opening. This turned out to be a major disappointment to the Missouri Springfieldians who had long wanted and lobbied for a Trader Joe's. So this saga offers an opportunity to point out that Springfield is actually not the most common city name in the U.S. Uh, Matt Blaze, you have any idea what the most common city name in the United States is? I have no idea. Take a I'm guess. Trying, I'm trying to think. Something like, uh, like a new something. <laughs> I mean, York. No, new. Well, new city's New York. So, uh, Yorktown. I don't know. I, I have Newtown. Newton. Yeah. No, no. Something yeah. like that. Um, a guy who celebrated his birthday this month, Washington. There are 91 places in the United States named Washington. And then um, that number two is Franklin with 45, followed by Clinton, followed by Madison, followed by um, followed by actually Arlington. There's a lot of Arlingtons out there and a lot of uh, Centervilles. So Washington, Franklin, Clinton, Madison, Arlington, Centerville, those are the places where there's a lot of. So a lot of people are saying some of these Springfields ought to change their name because it does lead to confusion. I'll never forget when my wife and I went to Las Vegas about uh, three or four years ago. I think it was about three years ago. And she looks at the weather before we leave for our trip. And she says, oh, it's going to be really chilly there. Don't bring, um, you know, summer clothes. It's going to be cold. You're going to want to wear long sleeves. So I said, oh, okay. 
Um, meanwhile, I still packed some stuff because I figured it's the desert and it was a good chance that it was going to be pretty, you know, pretty warm. She did not. She packed nothing warm. She packed almost all winter clothes. So we get there. We get off the airplane. The Uber driver picks us up. We're waiting for the Uber driver. It's incredibly hot. We're both sweating in our long sleeve gear. And, you know, she's saying to the Uber driver, I thought this was going to be a very cold week. I thought it was going to have, is it, you know, uh, really uh, uh, terrible temperatures this week. Uber driver says, no, it's hot, just as it always is this time of year, as was predicted. And it turned out my wife had been looking, I'm not joking here, at the weather in Las Vegas, New Mexico, not Las Vegas, Nevada. So, um... The having places that are the same name really can lead to some confusion. So uh, perhaps there are too many Springfields. Hey, there is a brand new edition of the Racket Report. My guest this week is Mary Spacuza. Mary Spacuza is an investigative journalist for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And she had her cousin murdered by the mob when she was just a little girl, barely knew him. And she did this article researching why he was killed by the mob and what happened. And uh, she said she really didn't know much at all about her cousin when she was young. Growing up, what did you know about your your cousin's death and the circumstances surrounding it? Virtually nothing. Um, I was about four years, I was four years old when he was killed. He was car bombed. And it was something that my family just did not and would not talk about. So I heard almost nothing about it. I remember my father would say things like, uh, don't fall in with the wrong crowd. You know what happened to Cousin Augie? Don't gamble. You don't want to end up like Cousin Augie. You don't talk back to the wrong person. You know what happened to Cousin Augie? And I was like, I don't know what happened to Cousin Augie because he won't tell us. So we get into this. It was a really interesting conversation. If you haven't heard it yet, I've posted the link on uh, my Facebook page at facebook.com slash MoranoFan and on my uh, Twitter at Frank Morano. But you can just search The Racket Report on any podcast app or uh, just go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com and search the uh, racket report. I think it's a, I think it's a really captivating, really interesting interview, and I hope people check it out. And if you like it, please share it. Share it with somebody, and uh, you know, on your social media feed. Email it to a friend and subscribe to that racket report podcast. And if you give us a five star review and actually leave a, a positive comment on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast, it really does help spread the visibility of the podcast. Lastly, a story that I was going to save for denunciations on Friday. But it so bothers me that I couldn't wait till Friday. I have to share it with you now. Hundreds of American children were poisoned last year after eating cinnamon-flavored applesauce pouches with extremely high doses of lead. And parents were left anxiously waiting for signs of brain damage. There's interviews and there's a review of hundreds of pages of documents which found that in the weeks and months before the recall this tainted applesauce sailed through 
a series of checkpoints in a food safety system meant to protect American consumers. And it really just makes you wonder, what else are they missing? What else is our regulatory infrastructure missing? This is a food that served to children, and it's got lead in it. Made kids sick. What else are they missing? And how can our regulatory, I mean, the entities that are supposed to make sure what we're eating isn't harmful, how do we safeguard that? How do we strengthen that to make sure this doesn't happen with other foods? 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Steve Kramer of the AI Biden calls in in just a moment. But first, uh, let me say hello to someone with a name that is near and dear to my heart, and that's Carmine in Florida. I have a cousin named Carmine, a father named Carmine, a son named Carmine, and I formerly had an uncle named Carmine. You're not any of them, are you, Carmine? No, I'm not any of them, but I have a long list of Carmines in my family. All right. Well, we're my probably related. My name was Carmine. My brother's name was Carmi- is Carmine, and my middle name is Carmine, and I had to change it way back. And um, I love your show. Wait, 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 Carmine. I, first of all, I'm, I, I definitely don't want to interrupt you if you're about to pay me a compliment, but you said your middle name is Carmine. You had to change it way back. But you just called in as Carmine. Are, are, is your name Carmine Carmine? Do you have the same first and middle name? I almost could be. Uh, I had to change my name, use my middle name, because my brother Carmine was so spoiled, and he's the younger brother. His nickname is Babe. He always had to get his way. And everybody started calling me Carmine. And my father said, it's fine. All right, we'll just switch them. And that's what we did. <laughs> I love that. So you oh, you, you and listen, your brother switched names? You listen to your father. That's great. if he was in the Navy and his name was Carmine. That's outstanding. That is outstanding. Good for you. Good for you. You know, my son is the most Irish-looking Carmine Morano who has ever lived. I'm wondering if my wife and I have another son that's maybe a little bit more uh, dark complected that fits the the mold of a typical Carmine Morano. Maybe maybe my son Carmine and any future son that's a little bit more uh, looking more his name. Maybe they'll want to switch down the line. That's very interesting. Uh, but what was on your mind today, Carmine? Well, that's incredible because this is the first time I have heard you say that your son looks Irish. I've never heard you say that. Well, well you I mean, described him to, to a T. Well, I post a lot of pictures of him too. So a lot of times people say, well, my wife is very Irish looking. She's got red hair. She's very fair. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, really. That is fantastic. Thank you. Well, I called to tell you um, I listen fantastic. every night. And I've listened to Cousin Brucey. I grew up on him. And so I'm an AB, uh, 77 ABC listener forever. And uh, I love talk radio. I'm a widow, and I live alone, and I don't have cable. I don't have Internet. I have a, 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 a track phone that my daughter bought me because I had a flip phone. She said, Dad, you got to get into the real world, you know, and she helped me out, and she taught me how to use it. And um, so I have... AM radio, FM, and CDs that I saw a thousand times. Um, I I will never go to cable ever again. And um, 
I'm hooked on you guys. Wonderful. Well, I love hearing that, Carmine. Carmine, thank you for the call. Appreciate the compliments. Definitely call again. And uh, if oh. you and uh, I appreciate everything you're going through, and I applaud you and your selection of a name. Steve Kramer joins me straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, we've covered AI a great deal on this show. We've talked about all of the potential ways that it could be beneficial, helping with everything from diagnostic medical tests to cutting down on monotonous tasks in all sorts of fields. Uh, We've talked about the incredible advances that can be made in fields like astronomy and other aspects of science that might be impossible if not for AI. We've also talked about the hazards of AI. Obviously, the most extreme is all life on this earth coming to an end because uh, some weapon system run by AI decides that we have to eliminate the humans. But we've also seen recently, on a practical level, a lot of potential negative uses of AI. And a lot of people have raised concerns about what AI might mean in a political context. What if you see and hear a candidate or an elected official doing something that they didn't actually do and the voter may not know the difference? We also talk from time to time about politics on this show. And a lot of you have raised the question, given your interest in AI and given your interest, meaning my interest, in politics, why have you not covered the story regarding the AI robocalls in New Hampshire? If you don't know what I'm talking about, there were a series of robocalls made with a voice that sound, sounded suspiciously like Joe Biden. What a bunch of malarkey. We know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. 
telling people not to vote in the New Hampshire primary. This seems to be an incredible deception and exactly the kind of thing that people were warning about. Now, why did I not talk about this and give my opinion and talk about how horrible this was or offer my analysis about this whole situation? Well, it's because I was informed several weeks ago that I knew the person responsible for this, and I wanted to wait until he broke his silence on the radio with us on this show before, you know, and before I gave my opinion without necessarily knowing all the facts. Well, now he has been outed. And I want to welcome the man responsible for the fake Biden robocall that used AI guy I've known for probably about 15 years now, a veteran political consultant. He's worked all over the country, actually all over the world. Very pleased uh, to welcome to the program Steve Kramer. Steve, it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the radio with us. Hey, Frankie, it's good to uh, hear your voice. You've got the perfect voice for radio and you really do cover things that other people are afraid of, and I'm glad uh, to be a part of that. I appreciate that, and uh, no AI aiding in my voice at all. All right, uh, Steve, there are a whole bunch of questions that I have for you, but really, I think they only come down to two, and this is the uh, the question that I think a lot of listeners are going to have for you. The questions are, why and how? Let's begin with the how aspect of it first. How did you pull this off? As the listeners just heard, that call sounds a lot like Joe Biden. What did you do here technologically and practically? How did you make this work? You know, it's so easy. A 17-year-old with a grudge, the Chinese government, any anybody with any kind of money at all could do a lot of damage with this type of technology and used in a negative way. And for $500, a little bit for the list, a little bit for the setting out of calls, and a little bit for the creation of calls, I was able to to make a call that actually made a difference, not just in, in AI and in people's knowledge of what could be done, but more importantly, in, in the regulations, in the ability for not just government, but people in order to be able to recognize what this is, what the dangers are, and how to how to prevent it. Okay, well, let's so, get to the we'll get to the why in a second. But just again, on the how aspect of things, it's been reported that uh, there was a New Orleans magician that was paid one hundred and fifty dollars to mimic Joe Biden's voice. So, in the audio that we just heard, the audio of these calls, is that a, 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 something that was created by a computer, or is that a Joe Biden impersonator? It is created completely by a computer, artificial intelligence, and. You know, in under a half hour, we were able to, and I should say the creator was able to take Joe Biden clips that are readily available from television and other aspects and use enough of the samples in order to be able to create to any script. And I created a script that I think allowed people to know that it was a straw poll, that the Democratic primary meant nothing because there are no DNC votes or delegates that were distributed during that primary, two, that they couldn't vote in the first place for that particular call. And again, the list that I used started off as 41,000 most likely to vote Democrats. I chose Democrats because they couldn't vote in the Republican primary. Mm -hmm. Um, But also the, the 
the list itself in New Hampshire, the lists are not easy to obtain or or bind together in a reasonable fashion. So you can use them for outbound communications. What I mean by that is, in New Hampshire, counties kind of run their own show. So it takes a little while for counties to update and then the state to update and then the list vendors to update their New Hampshire file. Um, it's not the only state that's county-oriented. West Virginia and a few others do it the same way. However, it's still easy to get a list from any reputable list vendor out there, whether that be on the East Coast or West Coast or even in other countries, those lists are readily available to anyone. The creation of the call, again, I used someone who had introduced me to what could be done for a minimal cost um, with AI, and I was intrigued because I saw a lot of different things that were beginning to happen in politics anyway. And then, Frankie, after the new year, after, excuse me, after the November election, the new political year, as they say, I was inundated by different people who wanted to, and not just people, PACs, super PACs different organizations, um, corporations, and even individual candidates and their campaign managers who all wanted to know how they could get in the game, mostly for negative stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating because, you know, the people like Roger Stone, who you and I both know very well, who were mimicked and, and with threatening messages to members of Congress, which I could never, having known Roger for 25 years, could never imagine issuing a statement or doing anything that would be untoward in that respect and you know dismiss it out of hand and turn up with a big call for Roger's voice much in the same way with Keith Wright who is the Democratic chair of Manhattan mm-hmm. and his name excuse me had his voice replicated in a way that was not complimentary to one of the members like the delegation in Manhattan and I think you probably heard of Taylor Swift she's this uh, sure. performer you know, they, things got a little more serious for the video and, and to the point where it bordered on porn or, or and other people in schools and in other different capacities have used the video aspect of um, not just TikTok, but all forms of media in order to be able to spread uh, misinformation, certainly uh, different things that don't add up. And then when you find out it's a fake, it's already created such a stir, such a disruption, or such damage to that person that often irreparable. Right. Um, so, uh, but, but so, uh, Steve, just so I understand, this fellow, this New Orleans magician who says he was paid to voice Biden in this call, is that, did that happen? Did he voice Biden for this call? All he did was take a script that I had sent over to him. And literally within just a few minutes, not more than 30 minutes, but I think a lot less than that, he was able to create a completely computer-generated Biden call or Biden voice. I think he took him two different uh, tries at it before he felt like it was the best he could do. And then he sent it back to me, and that was a lot. That was it. And, and that fellow that did that, is he an, an AI person or is he an impersonator? I mean, is that his voice that we're hearing as Biden or is that his wizardry with AI that's making it sound like Biden? First of all, I don't think he's an AI um, professional in any way. He's, you know, to my knowledge, a uh, street musician, uh, or excuse me, street magician, and someone who I casually know because there's a lot of people in New Orleans that like live music, and, and I'm sure he does because I've seen him at different concerts, and I do as well. So in casual conversation, he explains different things that could be done. And 
you know, I kind of socked it away. With the Biden call in particular, though, it was completely computer generated. Now, this is something that's easily done by anyone. And the fact that I paid him $150 was more because I knew he was a little down on his luck. And, sure, and, I get it. Right, we've all we've all been there. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Okay, so now I think we understand uh, the the practicality of this. Uh, for just a couple hundred bucks, you can not only have this produced, but buy a list, and you've done robocalls for political campaigns for uh, you know literally decades. So uh, here, I guess, is where I think a lot of people are wondering. Why? Why do this? It sounds like, based on what you're saying now, that there was sort of a noble intent behind this. Explain that. Explain what you were trying to do. It doesn't sound like you were doing this to fool voters into not voting for Biden to help Dean Phillips. What was your motivation here exactly, Steve? So into the new year, I knew that this is something that I want to do, not just this, but to really make a difference in the way that I approach politics as someone who, as you mentioned, has been doing politics, you know, actively since I was six, but certainly professionally since I was about 12. And I've seen everything, Frankie, I've seen everything. And to have so many people approach me after November's election about getting ready to do stuff in their primaries they have in their different states and work in 38 states. I do 59 members of Congress. There's nothing. I haven't seen. But I don't fear um, as much as wanted to show what could happen if this runs amok. And again, we already cited a few examples of the negative use of AI. Certainly there's positive uses, which you've done on your show. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who are initially intrigued, much like myself, by AI in the automation of different things that are rote tasks for humans. However, the ability to advance those rote tasks in a way that is continually learning is something that I think should be used in a positive way. I'm not a regular, I'm not a legislator, not someone who helps to determine the rules. What I am is someone who is knowledgeable about everything that's going on, literally everything that's going on. There isn't a different thing in politics that I haven't seen before until now. And when I was getting so many requests, I decided I could do something about it. I have the reputation, the years of experience, the ability to just take it. You know, they're not going to get me to back down from something I really believe in. And this is one of them. And that's the fact that this is being used negatively. This is being used, which, although maybe not legally and properly, or it is now, but this would have never happened unless I put my foot down. So this was done. Out. This was done not to hurt Joe Biden. This was done to expose the dangers and uh, create awareness about the hazards of AI and the use of AI in political campaigns. Correct. And the reason I chose two days before the election during the evening, the Sunday before the Tuesday, was that knowing that media coverage would pick it up on Monday. And while literally all eyes politically and for sometimes the casual observer, that was a day that they were going to be watching what was happening with the New Hampshire primary, both that you know end of the early voting period into the election period on that Tuesday. It got more media coverage than I could have ever imagined. Mm. And I kept my name anonymous for five weeks, knowing that the issue is what was the important part. Not Steve Kramer, could care less who likes me or doesn't like me or supports what I've done. 
It's more of the issue itself. So since then, Frankie, you and you've covered this, 50 attorney generals have signed either an amicus or a letter, I'm not sure which it technically is, trying to ban this type of technology within outbound communications. The FCC, which, by the way, has issued me a subpoena, which I tend to comply with. Right. Well, well, that's the next thing I was going to ask you about. So um, as of now, how has the law or the regulations from either an FCC or an FEC perspective changed from when you did this uh, a, m- a month and a half ago? I'm not sure the Federal Elections Commission has changed anything yet, although I would imagine they're contemplating different things to prevent AI from taking over someone's campaign or pack or whatever account and their filings with the FEC, making, let's say, a fake report rather than a real report. To my knowledge, that hasn't come up as an issue yet, but I can tell you that's got to be around the corner. The FCC finally did their job. Three weeks after I created this call and sent it out, they finally banned the use of AI in outbound communications from political campaigns or PACs or other things that are of an electoral nature. So they didn't do their job for years, and they knew it was coming, and they had promised a summer, possibly a summer movement on making regulations, much in the same way Congress was on track to take it up over the summer. I think everybody had said at the time that they were waiting for the budget to get passed or waiting for different things before they would take it up. But at no one, with the exception of certain state legislatures and state legislators, were able to introduce anti-AI use in this type of fashion. You know, good luck getting it out of committee and passed in the legislatures, but at least they were trying to make a difference. The 50 attorney generals out of the 50 states that we have who signed all wouldn't have taken that action unless I did this call. So for $500, help change an industry, or at least started the snowball that is changing this industry. And this is something that should have been looked at a year ago and changed over this past summer. But oh. instead, now it's, it's, it's to the point, at least behind the scenes, where almost everybody had, think, had thought about doing something in this respect, but held back, or at least many of them held back. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Steve Kramer, veteran political consultant, has worked uh, primarily with Democrats, but certainly with a good number of Republicans in this country, also worked on a lot of political campaigns around the world. And uh, he's now admitted that he's the man responsible for the AI robocall in New Hampshire. Now, Steve, some people are going to listen to your explanation and say, this is the equivalent of a bank robber coming forward to admit that he robbed a bank in order to expose the security flaws that he wanted corrected. It's still improper and illegal to rob the bank. What actions had, and again, it doesn't seem like it made much of a difference in the electoral outcome, but what if your actions had played a role in altering the effect of this election in, say, costing Biden the New Hampshire primary? Obviously it didn't, but we had no way of knowing that. Actually, that's not true. Enough polls had shown the write-in campaign for the Biden um, candidacy. It was far exceeding anything of any of his challenges, um, to the point where 5,000 calls, even 10,000 changed votes wouldn't have made a difference at all in that election. And in the nat- in this exact script, never tells them not to vote in the Democratic Party. It says not to vote 
um, to help Donald Trump mm. you know, so that we could get Democrats elected. And when I say we, that's part of the script that was put out there was that people should not listen to the malarkey, which was a catchphrase of the president, and that they should especially vote in November when their vote actually meant something. Because let's face it, Democratic primary was a straw poll. It had no delegates sure. at stake. It had right. no competition because you're talking about more than 50 points, I think, between um, Biden, Biden and his, and his nearest right. challenger. Mm-hmm. And it's it's um, frustrating for me because a lot of people see something that the games for themselves or a uh, news hit to gain for themselves. Certainly not on your show. You definitely expose the facts with all your different guests. And I'm an avid listener. Thank I you. don't always get up in time to hear it, but I get <laughs> to hear some of the rebroadcasts. But more importantly, the people who feel disenfranchised or in some way that democracy has been disrupted, if I didn't do this, this regulations, these regulations would have never changed. And in the same way, someone who can get through airport security and then is actually working for a security agency in order to be able to show the flaws. You know, this in a similar way, not not exactly the same, but in a similar way allows an innocuous happening to be seen by everybody. You know, Thomas Jefferson used to say, when you do a thing, act as the whole world is watching. And they were. And everybody was watching on that Monday and Tuesday of the primary. And the calls for this to be denounced were something that the legislators, who are very good at their press releases and their press conferences, were quick to jump on about. But how many of them went home and looked in the mirror, looking at you, attorney generals especially, did something about it? Now, I'm not going to say that no one did. There's a couple of people who started to introduce legislation we talked about. But the attorney generals who really have the power to do something about it, back the Missouri attorney general's office called me a couple of days ago, and they were excited in order to be able to stop this sort of thing and get my opinion and why I did it and how I did it and what types of things could prevent it. And I, I got to tell you, I am not the expert on how to prevent it. I just know that it's out there and I know that it is preventable. If we can send a lander on the moon and sometimes it lands on its side and sometimes it lands just it got there. I think we are at least in the process now finally uh, being able to regulate things. And if someone doesn't like what I did, that's the way it is. And that's the way it played out. And I don't need to do it again. Mm-hmm. I already caused the sir that we needed. Uh, talking with Steve Kramer. Steve, at this point, you mentioned that uh, subpoena from the FCC. I know the attorney general from uh, New Hampshire was talking about a, a, it seemed like a criminal investigation when it was first reported. Even though you did this for what I think most people would acknowledge is a noble intent, are you facing any potential criminal penalties because of what you did? You know, I'm not an attorney, and I would never pretend to be. I think that the attorney general of whatever state, and especially in New Hampshire, has that right to go ahead and do that sort of thing. But I can tell you the attorney general of New Hampshire has a degree from a noted law school, Florida State, one of the pillars within Florida of government relations and government education. The a position in New Hampshire is an appointed position. In other words, one person gets to decide if he's the attorney general and probably has a Senate or somebody who has to approve of that. But 
is not voted on by the people. Unlike, let's say, Letitia James in your sure. state of New York, who is elected, or in most states, even even Kamala Harris, in her capacity out in California, was known as a tough person and known as clamping down on different things. Well, he didn't do his job. He didn't clamp down on these different things. And I understand that he wanted to find the person and hold someone responsible, much in the same way you might do with a trophy. But the bottom line is, is they weren't doing anything about it. And they were allowing the excuses of the moment in order to get in their way of something that was and is something that's here and is a real problem. You know, again, you can ask Roger or Keith or some of the people who have been, you know, dipped in this in this oil about what their feelings are on it. And I think that they would come out with something similar and say something needs to be done and not just something needs to be done in the future in the summer, but it has to be done now. Um, very interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Given the ease in which you did this and given the fact that other people may be, look, we've been in politics long enough to have come across a number of people that are just completely amoral and just want their candidate to win or some other candidate to lose. And you mentioned the possibility of hostile foreign governments. What are you predicting for the future here in both this election and in future campaigns as this technology presumably gets even better? What do you think we're looking at down the road? I do think that there have to be safeguards in how you track different things that happen. And although I mentioned the Chinese government, really anybody with a little ingenuity and uh, the desire to make something happen, can go ahead and replicate something like this or take it to the next level. Imagine your whole bank account gets wiped out by a, a computer because the artificial intelligence is able to keystrokes or voice or whatever type of encryption that you use in order to be able to, to either bank or take away from the bank or be able to do things, not just to a candidate file, but to other people's actual bank accounts that aren't involved in politics. Mm. Um, there's a lot of different positive uses of this. I think that the Phillips campaign used the, well, maybe not the campaign, but one of the PACs maybe that's supporting them, used the bot in order to be able to answer questions from constituents. Team Phillips campaign had no idea I was doing this. I had a different contract with them to get them on the ballot in New York and in Pennsylvania, and we did both. They had no knowledge. The company that used that I use in order to be able to send out these calls, send out about one-third of my calls in any given year. I send out over 20 million calls in a year easily. They had no knowledge of it. The person who created it, uh, the Paul, had no knowledge of how I was going to use it. He was just looking for a buck. And then the unfortunate part is that the media sometimes, and I would excuse you, Frank, because you're very good at being able to talk about different things and seek solutions Thanks. unlike other people who want to just fight. Um, we need real solutions. We need people who are experienced regulators to actually do their job and regulate in this respect. 
It's uh, absolutely fascinating. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes. And uh, I have a feeling uh, when the history of AI and its use in political campaigns is uh, written uh, years, decades, and maybe even centuries from now, there's definitely going to be a Steve Kramer chapter because of what happened in New Hampshire. Lastly, Steve, on a completely different note, I got to take advantage of your political expertise. Give me your analysis of the uh, Michigan primary results. Uh, What are you seeing? What do you think the key takeaways are for people in the uh, Michigan primary? I have to confess, I've been working until about a half hour ago. We're doing some initiatives in, in, in the South. So it didn't get home until about a half hour ago. I haven't even turned on the television to see how the results went. I can tell you what I can think of before I find out what the results are. I think there's a, a strong constituency within the Democratic Party that doesn't like what's going on with the Biden administration foreign policy. I don't happen to subscribe to that wing, but it's definitely there and they definitely have an impact on states like Michigan or Minnesota or even Wisconsin that do have just a tremendous number of law-abiding Arab Americans who vote. Um, having said that, I think that there is has to be an understanding, and I'm not a policy expert, certainly not a foreign policy, but I can see where that at least on the Democratic side, might have had uh, an effect. On the Republican side, again, I think that the gap between Nikki Haley and Trump is pretty wide. And she did okay in her home state, coming within, I guess, 20 points. But I don't think that sustains. There are a lot of people, especially in a Rust Belt, blue-collar state, that really do like the former president and really do understand where he's coming from. I may not vote for him. But I can tell you there's a lot of people who work hard, obey the law, that really do like the former president. And that's not to denigrate any of the people on Nikki Haley's camp. Mm-hmm. I think that she's putting up a good fight, whether you believe what she's, you know, or believe in what she believes in is up to you. But I do think that it's great to have a democracy where you get a choice. And too many times people don't have a choice. Oh, no. I mean, that's my mantra, as you know, more choices and more voices. Uh, Steve, we're going to have to end it there. Let's do this again soon. I appreciate you uh, breaking your silence on the radio with us. And uh, let's uh, let's chat again soon. Anytime, Frankie. Thanks. Thank you, Steve Kramer. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
Raspberry Beret. This song is not dedicated to Curtis Sliwa. His beret is not of the raspberry variety. But to Erin Keating Fodor, who is celebrating her birthday today. Erin is a uh, wonderful woman who uh, I consider a friend. She's also married to my friend Alan. She moved out of the community that I live in and um, grew up in. And she moved to, of all places, Easton, Pennsylvania, not far from uh, where all my cousins moved to, also from the place that I grew up. In fact, I didn't realize that. I have to connect them and see if they want to hang out from time to time. I think they would get along. But Erin is terrific and want to wish her a happy birthday today. This was one of her birthday bumper music selections. Happy birthday, Erin. I hope uh, all of your wishes come true today and always. So uh, there you have it. All right. A lot to get to. You know, it's funny. I, um, a, a couple of weeks ago, someone that I know who is a friend of mine, but also, you know, very, uh, a guy that commands respect, a guy very well known, infamous in some quarters. I don't want to mention it. I don't want to mention any more about his identity. He sent, <laughs> he sends me a text message and he says, um, basically, Hey, you know, I would love to connect you with this person that I know. She's involved in some business and she's got this product. I said, okay, feel free. To, she says she knows you. He mentions this person's name. No idea who she is. I don't remember the name uh, or anything of this at all. So I said, feel free to give her my email and give her my number. Every lunatic in the world has my number. Why not one more? So she emails me. And she said, oh, okay, you know, uh, you know, so-and-so gave me your email. Okay. And I responded to it. I said, you know, let's talk soon. Basically, that was it. And I guess maybe I was supposed to follow up, and I didn't. Then I hear from another friend of mine, another friend of mine, not at all related to this other uh, guy. A- and she says, oh, you know, I ran into, and he mentions the same person. And she wanted to come on the radio with you. I said, okay, do you want to connect us via email? So... They, he connects us via email, and she wants to basically promote a product. She, you know, she's kind of interested in a, a – a, it sounded like almost a free commercial, which obviously we can't do. I could get in trouble for that. And I said, all right, well, I can't do that, but we can talk maybe about something else. If there's something in the news that you want to comment on or something interesting, cultural or socio- so, you know, societal. And she basically says, you don't remember me, do you? You know, I met you six years ago when I was working on XYZ radio show with this person and that person. I didn't say anything via email. I just said, all right, let me know if you want to come up with a subject to talk about. So the initial first person that reached out to me calls me yesterday with while he's with this woman. And she says, Frank, you don't remember me, do you? We had lunch. We apparently had lunch once five or six years ago. No, I don't remember you. I was trying not to be rude. Keep asking questions.